Welcome to Beaver Lodge Alliance's sermon podcast. We're so glad to join you. This is the latest sermon. We pray that you would receive encouragement, exhortation, and that Jesus would speak to you through this sermon. Enjoy. Awesome. I feel like uh, I feel like the Lord has already been speaking quite a bit this morning. I don't know if you guys are. are hearing the same thing I am or not, but it's, it's uh, you don't know what I'm going to preach on yet. But as I've been obviously thinking about what I'm preaching on, um, as different people have been sharing, as we've been worshiping together, it's exciting to hear that, uh, that this is not just my thought, but God is, is speaking some neat things today. So today's a good day, isn't it? Such a good day. Well, um, a story has been told, sorry, I'm Greg Clark. I'm also a pastor here, in case anybody's watching online or you guys are here new and you don't know who I am, but that's, that's who I am. I get uh, the privilege of serving here as well. But a story has been told for quite some time about a newly married couple uh, who are preparing a fancy meal together for the first time. And they're, they're doing a pot roast. And so they bring out this beautiful pot roast and they're excited about it. And the bride begins to prepare it, to put it in the roasting pan. And to prepare it, she cuts off both ends of the pot roast and then sticks it into the roasting pan, as, of course, you should cut off both ends of the pot roast every time you cook a pot roast. Uh, However, the, the young groom looks at this process and goes, that seems strange to me. I've never seen someone cut off both ends of the pot roast before to put it into the roasting pan. What's going on with that? Uh, so they begin to have this conversation, and it's a wonderful conversation. I'm sure there's no heated part of it at all. Uh, but uh, the wife says to the husband, don't you know, this is how you're supposed to do it. It's always been done this way. My mother has always cut off the ends of the pot roast. Her mother has always cut off the ends of the pot roast. It goes back for generations. This is how you cook a pot roast. Well, after the conversation, uh, the young bride begins to think. I wonder if what I said was actually accurate. So she calls her mother up and says, Hey, mom, my husband and I got into this altercation. And is it true that you're supposed to cut the ends off the pot roast? And so the mother says, Of course it is. That's how it's always been done. And so the daughter says, Why? And the mother says, Well, I don't know, dear. That we just, we just, that's how we always, that's how my mom taught me to do it. That's how I taught you to do it. That's just how it's supposed to be done. So then the, the young bride says, well, I'm going to give grandma a call. So it gives grandma a call and says, grandma, is it true that we always cut the ends of the pot roast off before we cook it? And the, the grandmother said, of course we do, dear. We've always done that. And so the young bride says, why? And so the grandmother says, because our roasting pan is too small to hold a whole pot roast. Sometimes we do things again and again and again because that's just how it's supposed to be done. And when we ask the question, why, we sometimes don't have a very good answer for why we have done things the same way again and again and again. A little while back, we had our good friend Nick come and preach a fantastic sermon for us on deconstruction. And he gave an illustration about oranges at Christmas time. 
So Nick told a story about a family who gave out oranges to their friends and neighbors and family as a special gift. Oranges at that time were a precious gift. And so because of love and and hospitality and and grace, uh, they gave out oranges to their friends and family. Years later, as this tradition carried on with the grandkids and the great-grandkids, those people continued to give out oranges at Christmas time, but they forgot to know why. They just gave out oranges because that's how they had always done it. They had lost the true meaning of the orange. And we do that with Christianity too, don't we? There are many traditions and customs and ways that we do things where we may have lost the true meaning of the tradition that we're doing. If someone were to ask us, why do you do it this way? We might say something like, well, that's because that's how it's always been done. So here we are, we're going to begin beginning a new mini-series because it's our responsibility, it's our responsibility to peel back the layers of the orange and find the true meaning behind our traditions. And so this new series that we're doing that's going to take us to the end of June is called this. It's called The Meaning of Oranges, Rediscovering the Way of Jesus. Now our text today, if you saw on our Facebook page earlier this week, our text today is out of Matthew chapters 5 to 7. Now it's the entirety of these three chapters, but we're not going to read all of this whole section because that would take us quite a long time. But I encourage you later on to read these three chapters. This section of scripture is one long sermon from Jesus. Jesus begins the sermon at the beginning of Matthew chapter 5, and he ends it at the end of Matthew chapter 7. So it's three long chapters of sermon. And there's a ton of great stuff in here. Nowadays, we try to preach maybe a one or two point sermon. Sometimes we get vigorous and we do a three point sermon. Jesus has like a 38 point sermon in this section of scripture. So if you're excited to read that later, it's good stuff. It's got a lot of good stuff in it. And according to Matthew, this is Jesus' first big sermon. Maybe that's why he had 38 points in it. I'm not sure. But it's a large sermon. It's his first big sermon. And just prior to this section in Matthew, Jesus is baptized. Um, He he, uh, goes into the desert and he's tempted for 40 days. He, He picks his first couple of disciples and he launches into this giant sermon. And here in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus begins this big sermon which we call the Sermon on the Mount, with a really great section called the Beatitudes. So here's how Matthew 5 begins. Jesus begins to speak, and he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, there's a lot of stuff that can be said about just this part of this Sermon on the Mount. But what I want to focus on in today is that I think Jesus is beginning to reboot 
In this section, Jesus is beginning to reboot the people's understanding of what the kingdom of heaven is all about. He's beginning to take them to a point of asking the why question. There there was a book written called The Great Emergence uh, a few years back by a lady named Phyllis Tickle. Isn't that a good name? Phyllis Tickle. I love that name. The book lays out a theory about how the church has ebbed and flowed over the years since Jesus' appearance on earth. So these last 2,000 years. The book describes a 500-year cycle where the church slowly begins to fall into becoming encrusted, institutionalized, and rigid. But eventually, at the end of this 500-year cycle, the church gets a kick in the pants, and revival and renewal happens where the church throws off the things which have restricted its growth, uh, and this results in a, in a new, more vital form of Christianity and also results in a dramatic spread of the gospel. Isn't that exciting? 500 years, after 500 years, the church begins to fall into this rut, but then renewal and revival happens, and there's this fresh new faith that comes out. Now, this is not to say that the church drops the core beliefs that make it the church. In fact, the very opposite happens. The church has time and time again, through this process, rejected the extra-biblical traditions and customs, which may have initially been meant to help the church and strengthen the church, but have become devoid of meaning like the stagnant oranges at Christmas time. The church in this process returns to the core beliefs in Jesus Christ in a new and exciting way that brings vibrancy to the church. For example, the last time this happened uh, was about 500 years ago with a man named Martin Luther. This was the Great Reformation, where Luther rejected many of the organized church's practices, including things like having scripture only written or read in Latin. So if you wanted to hear the word of God, you had to learn Latin. And if you didn't know Latin, which was the, the no, almost nobody knew Latin, then you didn't hear the word of God read or written. So that was one of the, the practices. There was another practice of buying and selling of indulgences to pay for sins or using the priests as mediators between man and God. There were many non-biblical practices as a part of the church at the time. And in the beginning, they maybe were meant to help the Christians, but, it, but they quickly became ways of, of keeping the faithful followers of Jesus under the thumb of the church. Now, Luther's great reformation was aided by the invention of the printing press, which happened at about the same time. And for the first time, when the printing press came, for the first time in all of history— There was the possibility of the mass production of Bibles in English. Can you imagine? How many people have like numerous Bibles in your house? Or at least you've got it on your phone. Can you imagine not having the Bible at all in a language you could read or even the possibility of having it? Then all of a sudden the printing press comes out, which makes it possible for for the mass production of Bibles in your language. The organized church at the time was vehemently opposed to this happening 
because it was thought that the common man could not possibly read or understand Scripture. And so we needed to keep it out of the hands of the commoner. Well, these two things, Martin Luther's great reformation and the invention of the printing press, propelled the faithful followers of Jesus forward into a time of renewal and revival, where the body of Christ cast off the suffocating traditions and customs of the organized church while still holding on to the deep core beliefs and traditions and customs which fed the church moving forward. So it's important to note here that traditions and customs in and of themselves are not, they're not normally evil or good or whatever. They're actually meant to help. The traditions and the customs of the church are meant to help. But when they bog down and get in the way of the true gospel of Jesus Christ, they become hindrances to the church. Now, the Great Reformation happened, like I said, just over 500 years ago. And in Phyllis Tickle's book, it's her theory that we are due now for another Reformation. And as I look around at the current climate and culture, I tend to agree with her. There are, again, two large change factors that are happening right now in our very time. The first is that we are well into a postmodern culture which is increasingly interested in deeply meaningful, supernatural, and spiritual things, but against the old restrictive legalism and control of the church. This group of postmodern people... Uh, might not be keen on Christ right now. In, in fact, the, the presentation of Christ to this group is, is not having a great um, effect. But this culture is open to the things of God. What they want to see is they want to see a faith that is not just hearing about a God or just following a list of rules or learning how to behave. They want to experience God and see the practical application of spirituality at work in the world. So rather than being afraid of this group of people who are not yet quite on the bandwagon with Jesus, but they want to see spiritual stuff, rather than being afraid of them or accusatory towards them, we should begin to see what are they wanting to see happen. Well, they want to see their spirituality not just being something that sits on a Sunday morning, but something that is integrated into their whole faith and world. And the good news is that Jesus wants to see this too. Well, that's the first change factor. The other change factor that, that we find ourselves in the middle of right now is that there is a time right now of mass technological change. Much like the invention of the printing press, the internet is opening up all kinds of new possibilities for gospel presentations, church attendance, uh, spiritual connection, and many other things. Many of us in this room and those watching us on our live stream today can feel that something is beginning to shift in the religious world. Now, for those of us who have been followers of Jesus Christ for a while, there may be this pull to hang on too tightly to the old way of doing things. Just think for a moment, is that you? Are you one of the people who feel this pull to hanging on too tightly to the old way of things. We need to be careful about that. At the same time, there's another pull 
For those of us who are newer to this story, there's a pull to try to throw the baby out with the bathwater, which I know is an old saying, but what it means is to get rid of everything, to just toss it all out the window, toss all the religious stuff out the window, let's get rid of all of it, the good, the bad, and the ugly. I want you to just think for a moment, does this describe you? Is there a pull in you to just chuck it all and get rid of it? We need to be careful about doing that as well. I, I think there's a middle ground here for us, a, a much healthier place where we take a critical look at why we do what we do, not throwing everything out, but also not hanging on too tightly to the old way. I think the middle ground is actually the way of Jesus. I think it's the way of Jesus. Phyllis Tickle's theory is that every 500 years since Jesus came, the church goes, undergoes a, a reboot and I think we're in that place of reboot right now. And the way through this time is to cling tightly to Jesus. Which brings us back to this passage of Scripture. Without a doubt, the greatest reboot the church has ever undergone is the reboot that happened when Jesus was here on the earth. We have to understand something. The church didn't start when Jesus was here. Jesus didn't come to a culture that was empty of spiritual understanding. Jesus didn't start from square one. Actually, for thousands of years before Jesus showed up on earth, God had a plan. There was stuff that was happening. From the very beginning of our time, God had been revealing himself to the world, reaching out to the world, and showing the world who he was in many different ways. When Jesus came around, there were many spiritual people, Jewish and Gentile, who were seeking relationship with God in whatever way they could find it. Jesus showed up to a culture that was very aware of spiritual things, very aware of the possibility of a God, at least, much like the time of Luther's Great Reformation. There were many spiritual people and in Jesus' day, the church, particularly the Jewish church, was at this point of being encrusted, institutionalized, and rigid. The church and the priests had the people of God under their thumb. And there was an overemphasis on the rules, the regulations, the traditions, and the customs of the church, which hindered the people's ability to connect with God. The things that initially were meant to help people connect with God had now become a barrier between them and God. So here's where Jesus shows up. He shows up right in the middle of this kind of a culture, which is similar to the culture of Luther's day and is similar to the culture of our day today. Jesus shows up in the, in the middle of this and he begins to reboot people's understanding of the kingdom of heaven, beginning with this big sermon in Matthew chapter 5. Imagine being one of the people that's sitting there listening to Jesus as he's speaking the Beatitudes, as he's saying these things to you. These people were poor in spirit. They were those who mourn. They were the meek, the persecuted, and on and on. These are the fringe people that Jesus is speaking to, the disenfranchised, the, the ones who didn't match up to the rules and the regulations of the church, the ones who didn't feel at home any longer in the strict regulations and customs and traditions that the church was, was 
speaking about. These people flocked to Jesus, the sinners and the tax collectors, the gluttons and the drunkards. These were certainly not the priests or the normal synagogue church members. Jesus begins rebooting the church by turning the status of the people that were there upside down. Jesus begins to say things like the last will be first and the first will be last. Blessed are the meek, the merciful, the pure in heart. Blessed are the persecuted. Jesus raises these people up who feel disenfranchised and gives them special honor. Jesus begins to reboot the system by speaking to those who feel like they no longer fit. It's an interesting thing. Jesus continues to move on as he flips the religious system on its head. But before you think that Jesus is completely overthrowing the religious system or throwing it all out like the baby with the bathwater, look at what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So he's not tossing it all out. He's not getting rid of the entire religious system. He is just pointing out that there are pieces of the religious system that have lost their way. In the rest of this section, Jesus begins to peel back the oranges. Jesus says things like, hey, you've heard that it was said, eye for an eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. He also says, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. There are many statements in this little section where Jesus says, you've heard that it was said, but here's what I'm going to tell you. You've heard that it was said, but here's what I'm going to tell you. Jesus breaks down the traditions of the current church and brings back the foundational truths of what was meant with these things. What did God mean when he laid these things out? Jesus then goes on in the next section to provide clear direction on giving, on prayer, on fasting, and other such topics. He is beginning to readdress all the major topics of the church and reboot the whole system. See, the religious system in Jesus' time had drifted away from what it was supposed to be. So Jesus begins the job of bringing everything back into right alignment. Not throwing it all out, but also not holding on too strongly to the customs and traditions and the way people are used to doing things. And this section of Scripture is not the only place that Jesus does this. You can see this same story playing itself out again and again as Jesus particularly comes up against the religious leaders. You remember when the religious leaders got upset about Jesus healing somebody on the Sabbath? They would get all bent out of shape when Jesus unbent the shape of a woman who was there on the Sabbath. When he healed the hand of a man who was there on the Sabbath. They got bent out of shape when Jesus did these things. So Jesus stopped for a moment and uses, used that opportunity as a, as, a, as a chance to speak about mercy and the actual purpose of the Sabbath. 
Do you remember when the religious leaders caught a woman in the middle of adultery and brought her before Jesus to stone her? And Jesus stops it all and uses the opportunity to speak about forgiveness and love. The religious leaders are constantly coming to Jesus, trying to catch him with questions about divorce and the resurrection and the greatest commandment, and on and on and on. And Jesus uses these times to point people back to the true meaning behind why these things were done in the first place. Jesus does get rid of some of the customs and traditions. We heard about that a couple of weeks ago as he he pushed everybody out uh, that were in the court of the Gentiles, those that were selling and, and, and uh, selling uh, um, livestock and, and exchanging money in the court of the Gentiles. Jesus pushed them all out. That was a custom that needed to go. But there's other customs and traditions that Jesus just breathes new life into, like the Passover. Jesus actively reboots the church in his time. And since then, as the church has drifted over the last 2,000 years, it seemed that about every 500 years or so, Jesus has rebooted the church again, bringing correction and then renewal and then revival where it's needed. And I think we're smack in the middle of one of those reboot, renew, and revive seasons right now. And this season may hurt a little bit. Letting go of some of the traditions and customs we, we are used to will hurt, but it will also be life-giving as we breathe new life into some of the customs and, and find a more vital and deep expression of our faith in Jesus Christ. In these next seven weeks in particular, we're going to be on a journey of rediscovering the way of Jesus, peeling back the meaning of oranges. And let me just say this, we will walk this out together but it is your responsibility, and you need to take hold of this to be able to wrestle with critically looking at why you do the things you do. Why do you do the things that you do? You and I need to wrestle with this personally, and then we want to walk it out corporately. Don't assume that the old way of doing things is holy. And don't assume that it's not. Ask questions. Push. Pull. Test stuff out. But here's the kicker, and this is one of the most important things to remember. We're we're going to seek out our answers in Scripture. We're going to listen to Jesus. And we're going to allow Jesus to speak to us through the Scriptures to mold our way of thinking. This is important because in this season, there are two ditches that people can fall into. The first is that people allow the surrounding culture and the way of the world to interpret our faith. We need to be very careful about that. We cannot allow the surrounding culture to interpret our faith. Uh, The second ditch is that people allow church traditions and customs and the old way of doing things to interpret our faith. And we need to be careful about doing that as well. In getting back to the way of Jesus, we must not allow the culture of the world or the customs of the church to be our final authority. We must go back to Scripture. So where does all this land for us? Uh, This is actually a very hopeful time to be a part of the church because things are being shaken up and stirred. Renewal, revival is happening. It's so exciting. It's an exciting time to be a part of the church. And every time in history where Jesus has rebooted the church, 
there's been a time of vitality and, and growth that has moved the kingdom of God forward in an amazing way. And we get to be a part of that. It's exciting. It's an exciting time. We've been praying for renewal and revival to come, and Jesus is bringing it. But I've got to tell you right now that it is quite likely that it's going to show up in a way that looks different than what we would expect it to look like. And it's like, most likely going to be a little uncomfortable for most of us. Please don't miss this opportunity because you're so stuck in thinking you know how it's supposed to look. I want you to look at this as we draw this to a close here. Jesus ends his sermon in Matthew chapters 5 to 7 with a wise and powerful encouragement for us. After turning everything upside down, if you read these chapters later, you're going to see Jesus just over and over again turns things upside down from what, what they thought the church was supposed to be like. After doing all this, Jesus says this, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is, a, is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. The times in history where the church was rebooted in those 500-year sections these were times of great upheaval. The world was in a state of chaos. The church was off kilter and the people were crying out for stability. We're in that season right now. And God's answer for all of this was to reboot the church, to bring it back to the true foundation of Jesus Christ, and then use the church to bring his kingdom to the world. That's our goal in this series. And in the years to come, to get back to the foundation, to build our house on the rock, who is Jesus Christ. And then to take our role in being pivotal in bringing the kingdom of God to this world. So here's some just quick practical things for you. There's two possibilities here. Not two possibilities, but there's two things that we need to do at the same time. Okay, on one hand, we need to make sure everything is couched in Scripture. So I don't know if you knew this, but on Facebook every week on Thursday... In our Facebook community group, which you have to ask to be a part of, uh, we post what the scripture is for that Sunday. Read the scripture before you get here. If you can't do that, read it afterwards. So if you haven't read Matthew 5 through 7 yet today, read it this afternoon. Because we want to, what we want to do is we want to make sure everything is couched in scripture. Make sure everything comes from scripture. This is our guidebook for everything that we know about who God is and how he does stuff. So you can picture it like this. In the, in the one hand, you need to hold tightly to the Word of God, to Scripture, and to the words of Jesus. Hold tightly to those. On the other hand, what we want to do is we, we're not throwing out all the customs and traditions of the church. We're, we're not saying tomorrow we're going to be meeting in the parking lot and, and this is what we're doing from now on. Okay, so we're not throwing out all the customs and traditions of the church, but we need to hold the customs and traditions of the church in an open hand not clinging on too tightly to them, but, but not ignoring them. So a tight, clasped hand on the Word of God and an open hand to the traditions and customs of the church. And then let's move forward. 
I, I, the, the thing I'm really excited about during this service, because we didn't plan it this way, but the Lord planned it this way, is that we had a service full of hymns. And we talk about the customs and traditions of the church and, and, and being able to hold on to some of them. Those are powerful hymns that we sing, aren't they? Today we sing some powerful hymns. We're not throwing those out. We're not going to get rid of those. Because God is still speaking through those hymns. And we had children up here dancing and singing and waving flags to hymns. Isn't that beautiful? And we haven't always had children dancing and singing and waving flags. Well, here we have this, 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 oh, this beautiful fusion of what we're talking about today as these two things come together. So, if you are wanting he, uh, prayer for healing, prayer for encouragement, if you want to talk with us, there's going to be some prayer people up here at the front afterwards to pray with you. And let me just pray our benediction prayer today. Heavenly Father, we honor you. You are so good and you keep doing new things. And Jesus, right now, I bless the church to be able to step into what you have for us. That we would return to the foundation of you, Jesus Christ. We would return to the why. The why of what we do is you, Jesus. Help us return all the things, the customs and traditions. If they are things that help us to draw near to you, help breathe new life into those things, Jesus. If they are things that distract or discourage or put a blockade, help us to get rid of them. But I bless the church to be able to walk into this with wisdom. I bless you, church, to walk into this with wisdom, to know the things that we need to hold on to and the things we need to get rid of, and to be filled afresh, even right now, by Holy Spirit, to walk in the ways that God is calling us to walk in with fresh vitality, with renewal and revival. May God, may you be honored and glorified, Jesus, and may you lead us in this process. We love you. We thank you. We pray these things in your powerful name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. You're dismissed. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. If you would like more information about us or find out ways to contact us, visit our website at www.beaverlodgealliancechurch.com. We pray today that you would experience the love, presence, and power of Jesus Christ, and then make him known.